Safety Chick Rules, the podcast with incredible stories of survivors, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all with the mission to fight the bad guys. This isn't your ordinary true crime podcast. This one gives you the tools to live a safe and empowered life, fighting crime one tip at a time. I'm Kathleen Gallagher, the Safety Chick, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, welcome. For those of you who have been with me a while, thank you. I love getting all your messages on Instagram, Facebook, and my website. I really appreciate all the support and your great feedback, so keep all that coming. So today's show might be difficult for some of you to listen to. It's about child molestation. It is a very disturbing subject but one that is extremely necessary to discuss and raise awareness to. Hey, knowledge is power. And in order to combat crime, being educated on how to avoid becoming a victim or how to help someone that could be a victim is what this show is all about. According to the National Center for Victims of Crime, one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of child sexual abuse. Children are most vulnerable to sexual assault between the ages of seven and 13. And 93% of the victims know their abuser. Look, we all know the story of disgraced USA Gymnastics National Team doctor Larry Nassar, the convicted serial rapist and sex offender who victimized hundreds of young gymnasts for years. Throughout his trial, we heard their accounts and stories again and again from the victims about the physical and emotional damage that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. You know, I started running AAU track when I was nine years old. My dad was my track coach and a sports rider, and he put me on the Redwood City Striders track team. I was on the team from nine until I started high school and then competed on my high school team and went on to run in college. I had been around male track coaches my whole life, but there was one coach that always stuck out to me. Around the age of 12 or 13, there was a long-distance coach by the name of Mike Ibsen. A good-looking guy, was very charismatic and flirtatious with all the girls. I ran the 100 meters, so he wasn't my direct coach, but I was around him enough to see how he was with all of us. So under the bleachers was a large open storage area where we put the high jump pits and the hurdles and all the equipment. We all had to pitch in after track practice was over and put all the equipment back under the bleachers. You know, I don't know exactly why or how I came to feel this, but I knew not to be alone with that coach in the storage room. It was a gut feeling that at 12 or 13 years old, I just felt. Years later, it came out that one of his long-distance runners who had been coached by him for years, Linda Van Housen, had been molested and sexually assaulted by him for over 10 years, starting when she was 13 years old. I knew her. She was a year older than me. I remember her being a beautiful, talented, long-distance runner and always very close with Coach Mike Ibsen. She finally, at 28 years old, had the courage to tell her story and press charges against him. During the trial, several other young runners on that team came forward saying they too had been sexually assaulted by him. Linda Van Housen won a $1.1 million lawsuit against Mike Gibson and said outside the courtroom after their ruling, this is a victory for all children. It is a big issue. Ibsen, 
is only a small part of what's out there. And that is exactly why we are doing this show today. There are thousands of Mike Ibsen and Larry Nassers out there. Every day, a child becomes a victim of sexual assault. So what can be done about it? My guest today knows firsthand about child molestation and will help provide insight and tools to help you keep your children safe. Erin Marin is an author, speaker, child advocate, and activist. She is the founder of Erin's Law and is a childhood sexual abuse survivor as well. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. You know, um, I love the you know, whole tone of this show is ordinary people turning incredible chat tragedy into extraordinary things. And you are, mm-hmm. you are on the top of that list. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just so glad we, we kind of have known each other for a while, a, a long time over social media. I'm just so ha- happy and honored to have you here. So if you don't Thanks. mind, take us back um, to the beginning, you know, um, how this all started and, and what happened to you. Yeah, so when I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, one of three girls, I was the middle child. And when I went off to kindergarten, I met my best friend. And it was at Ashley's house. I had my first overnight. Um, Ashley's home was a little different than mine. She didn't have a dad in the picture. It was a single mom with two little children. But she did have mom's brother, her uncle, living with her. And so he pretty much played the caretaker role. Anytime I went over to play at her house, he was the one watching the kids while mom worked. And so this particular night, my very first overnight at her house, um, I wake up in the middle of the night. I was on the ground sleeping. My friend was up in her bed. I woke up to her uncle coming into the bedroom, closing the door, getting down to where I was in my little sleeping bag and sexually abusing me for the first time. And I remember waking up to this and I could see what was going on because there was a light um, outside the the window, street light that shined in. So I can completely see what, you know, he was doing. And he told me to be quiet. And I had never been educated on this, that you don't keep these type of secrets. So when this man had sexually abused me and I went home the next day, I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my dad. I didn't tell my teacher. I stayed quiet because I had been threatened to be quiet. When Ashley asked me to spend the night again, I said no. I, you know, was, you know, avoiding overnights, fearing that he would do this again. But I continued to play there during the day because nothing happened bad during the day. He was sleeping all the time, which I remember finding it so odd. He was in his room sleeping during the day and not, you know, at late hours of the night. Later find out he worked the night shift, and so he was up at night, and he was often coming into the bedroom um, when right before he would leave. And so, you know, fast forward, we're now in first grade. She's asking me to spend the night again. She's having another little girl spend the night that doesn't go to our school. And I never forget telling her, I'll only spend the night if we all sleep on the ground together. Because in the back of my mind, he would wake them up if he came in and tried to do something to me. Well, something I tell parents, educators, um, you know, just because they're doing it to one child doesn't mean they stop and don't do it to another. And that uncle came into that room that night when we were all awake, laying there talking and sexually abused all three of us. And yet not a single one of us told anybody. We kept it a secret. And, you know, all of a sudden, all the red flags started to show in school. I started acting out. 
start having all these behavior problems. You know, um, my parents at one point separated. So the school was meeting with my parents saying she's acting out because dad no longer lives in the home. So this is her way of expressing her anger when really nobody knew why and the truth of what was going on and what I was being threatened to keep a secret. And after that incident, I was totally avoiding overnights. And about several months later, I was at her house winter day playing in her bedroom with her dollhouse. And that after my best friend walked away to go use the bathroom, when she came back in, I had asked her something and I couldn't see the door because of how big the dollhouse was. And she didn't answer me. And so I peeked my head around the door and there that uncle of hers was locking it. And he proceeded to call me over to the bed. My best friend is now at the door trying to get in. I am now on the bed, kicking, fighting, screaming with this man, um, you know, hoping my best friend can somehow get the door open. Her mom's not there. She's working. And to spare you the details, just before my seventh birthday, this man had raped me. I could tell you the color shirt he was wearing, you know, the look in his eyes, the toys that were on the floor, the closet doors open and the dresses hanging there. And the details of that are just something a child never forgets. And two weeks later, I was reliving that moment when my sister pushed me back on a couch. And I, I freaked out and began banging on a door that led out to my grandparents, whose house we were at, back, um, you know, banging on their back door and was banging so hard, my hand went through the window. So I'm being rushed into emergency surgery. A few days later, I returned to school and social worker, psychologists are meeting with my parents, um, once again, talking about my anger problems. And, you know, they continue to blame it on the fact that my parents, you know, there was issues going on in the home and not getting to the root of really why I was so angry and acting out. So they gave me an individual education plan and labeled me a behavior and emotionally disturbed child. And this like was said, at, this no was at eight me. years old. You were you were about eight years just old. Just turned time. seven. Ugh. I was just turned seven. Okay. Sorry. At this point, so it it was six, then it was seven, and you know, and I continued to act out, but no one was teaching me safe and unsafe touch, safe and unsafe secrets that you will be believed if this is happening to you to speak up and, and tell somebody. I continue to be threatened by this man. I know where you live. I will come get you. Don't you tell anybody. I feared at night he was like hiding under my bed or in my closets. And I would check to make sure before I went to sleep at night that he wasn't going to somehow be hiding under there or my window was locked. So how did my abuse eventually end at eight and a half years old? It wasn't that police officer that had come in for three years teaching me stranger danger. Don't go look for the lost puppy. It was that my parents were moving. We sold our house. I was going to be going to a new school and I was never going to see this man again. And it was really interesting because within five months of moving, all those behavior problems disappeared. I wasn't acting out. The school said I no longer met the requirements for the services that I was being provided with the social worker, school psychologist, because I wasn't acting out. I wasn't having these behavior problems. But something I point out to a lot of people is when I made these new friends and they started asking me to spend the night, I was saying no to all of them because I feared their dads, brothers, step parents, you know, somebody coming into the, you know, room at night and right. sexually abusing me. How could you not? But that's all you know. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you moved and you had this sense of, oh, I'm, I'm safe, right? Yes. I'm moving on with my life, made my new friends. Life got better. 
And I became that third, fourth, then fifth grade starts. My abuse ended at eight and a half and it began at age 11. Not that stranger that I've now been warned about for five, six years. Um, you know, this time it was someone a lot closer than a neighbor. At 11 years old, spending the night at my grandparents' condo in Wisconsin, I woke up to my older teenage cousin sexually abusing me. Once again, in my sleep, wake up to him assaulting me. He was on this air mattress right next to me. I didn't even know when I fell asleep that night that he was going to be sleeping next to me. And I, this is somebody that I looked up to coming from a family of all girls as the brother I never had. He was the cousin that literally lived down the street from me. I was over at their house three, four times a week, past their house every day on the way to the elementary school. And so I wake up to this happening and I can't believe it. And I convinced myself after finally an hour going by and falling asleep when I woke up the next morning, it was an awful dream and not to make eye contact with my cousin. Well, I go home, I open my diary up that night, wrote about what happened, something happened last night, but I don't know who to tell, hid it under my mattress, and kind of just pushed it down. And several months went by, total of six months. All of a sudden from September, it's now April. I'm now 12 and that older cousin, his mom starts stopping me on my way home from school asking if I would watch her two younger sons who were three and six while she ran errands, grocery store, um, getting her nails done because her two older boys were involved in football, after-school activities. And so I would say, you know, sure, I loved hanging out with my little cousins. I had pushed down what had happened that one night. Well, that particular um, afternoon, that older teenage cousin came home when his mom was gone and while I was playing hide and go seek, he said, I got the perfect hiding spot. Come with me. My brothers will never find you. Well, he was luring me down into his basement, into the crawl space, threw blankets over me, got on top of me, and sexually assaulted me. And this was the first time, not the last, that he threatened me and told me, this is our little secret. No one will believe you. Don't tell anybody. You'll destroy our family. And I believed him. Once again, my parents had never talked to me about this. So I went home and wrote about it in my diary. For the next year, I continued to write about it as it happened over and over and over again. And then two dozen times, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, other family gatherings for birthday parties. We came from a huge family. Our parents were one of seven. So we were always getting together. And I was being threatened all the time. And he was somebody that did not fit the profile. Excellent grades, star athlete. And just was charming and did not come across that he would ever do something like this. As I'd like to describe it to people, he had two split personalities. This, this evil person and this very charming, nice, you would never expect this person. Which so is I'm now at sixth grade. Which is the case, as you know, oh. Oh, a yes. lot of sociopaths. Oh, I mean, yes, it is exactly. It is. That is what I would describe him. That's what yes. I describe a lot of these predators. They yep. are sociopaths. Sociopaths. Narcissistic yes. sociopaths. So, oh, yes. So I'm sorry. So go back. So at this age, at this time, you're 13, 12? 13. Okay. 13. And it is progressively getting worse. Um, I'm, I'm finding myself in situations where the longer he had with me, the more aggressive he would be with his abuse and his threats. So how did I finally speak out? Well, at the same time that I'm about to break my silence, 
That police officer that had taught us for years on stranger danger has been teaching us for weeks there, the eight ways to say no to drugs. But I tell legislators across this country, I never got the eight ways on how to get away until today. We don't educate kids on this. So I finally found my voice, not because that cop told me how to speak up, because as I mentioned earlier, these predators have multiple victims and my 11 year old sister came to me and blurted out the words, Brian's gross and Brian is that cousin. And he was doing the same exact thing to her since for about six months, um, sexually abusing her too, while he had me threatened. And I'll never forget the anger the rage that I had in that moment finding this out and sitting there and listening to her telling me some of the same holidays he had been molesting me, he went after her. And so the only good thing about her coming to me with this is it gave me the courage to come forward. And immediately the next day we told our parents. And I, I, when we were talking, when we were talking earlier, what I love, not love, but what is so profound about that story is, you know, you, you can, Keep it in, let it happen to you. But the minute it happened to your sister, your loved one, that mama bear, that mama, you know, <laughs> cub instinct came out and you did something about it. And that is, you know, a lot of times the catalyst for a lot of victims to come forward yeah. is like, oh, hell no, not her. Yep. Like you can do whatever you want to me. I can handle it. But oh, exactly. hell no, not her. So exactly. good for you. So, oh my goodness, what happened then? So we told our parents, my mother broke down and cried. My dad immediately left work. He came home. And the first thing he said to me is, why didn't you tell me he was doing this to you? And I looked at him and I said, because he told me you and everyone else would call me a lie. Not believe me. He walked over to his sister's house that night, confronted her and told her what had been going on. As you can imagine, she went into shock. Um, couldn't believe what she was hearing and said her and my uncle would talk to my cousin. Well, as my cousin had told me, he flat out denied it, called my sister and I liars that he didn't do anything and his parents were standing by him. So my parents went to the police. My sister and I were interviewed at a children's advocacy center where we had to tell what happened. He was eventually called into the police and it was during that interrogation that they got him to confess to several counts of abuse. I put him under arrest and my parents were then given the option. Do you want to take this to trial and see that, you know, he sent to a juvenile detention center? Or do you go the route where your kids don't have to take the stand and testify against him? He goes through court by himself, but he won't face any jail time, but he'll get the help that you want. And that's the route my parents went. So he was screened through court and he ended up getting um, six months probation um, counseling. He how old was he at this time? Aaron, how old was he? Um, he was 15 at this time. Okay. So yes. yeah, it's still a minor, but and still. yes, 15. And my sister was, um, 11 and I was 13. And so he ended up by, you know, going through the court process, you know, getting the counseling, you know, at the same time he was started off as freshman year of colleges. I mean, high school as a varsity football player. Cause he was that good. And so, you know, and no ramifications, no punishment, no no. juvenile hall, no, he was able to just go back to high school. Yep. And sadly, we found out through another girl, um, he did it again to her, um, about not surprising, he got off probation and I'm now in high school and he's a senior 
when I'm now in school, high school, oh. running into him in the halls. It was a horrible experience. And I ended up um, sitting on a school bus one day and listened to the senior talk about this underage drinking party she went to over the weekend and how her best friend was raped. And her best friend will not go to the police or school authorities because she was also drinking and she's afraid she's going to get in trouble. Well, everyone pressured the girl saying, who's the guy? And she flat out came out and said, it's the captain of the football team and said my cousin's name. And I'll never oh, forget sitting God. there going, just, just sitting down in my seat in utter, complete shock, anger, disbelief. And before I could even process this, this girl I went to elementary school who was also on the bus popped up and said, Aaron, isn't that your cousin? Now everybody is staring at me. And it, the bus just went silent and I just blurted out. Yes. And he did the same thing to my sister and I. And everyone was just, you know, shocked. And so as you can see, you know, he didn't get in trouble. He didn't get the help he needed. And he continued to be a predator. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes. So from there, um, it was in high school when you wrote your first book, wasn't it? Was that the kind of emphasis so to now it? When, yes. So now I was a junior. He was away at college and I confronted him and sent this long five-page email pouring my anger out, confronting him about the other women that he had hurt, you know, um, wanting answers. Why did you do this? You're going to be held accountable someday, putting all my anger out there. I never expected a response because it was a nasty letter, but he responded. I got five sentences to my five pages, but it opened up this dialogue for seven months of going back and forth. And it was at the end of those seven months that I decided to let go of the shame and stigma and do something positive and turn that diary that I wrote all my abuse in into a book before I graduated high school called wow. Stolen Innocence. And it was through writing that book that I began speaking out, traveling, getting my degree in social work. I finally, when I was in college, disclosed what happened when I was six, seven, and eight. And because of the time that had gone on, it was my word against this man's and nothing could be done. There was no physical evidence, so he was never charged. He refused to cooperate with police. But it was looking back at that and reading a passage out of my diary that said, Officer Friendly comes in and teaches us not to answer the door when our parents are gone. Don't talk to strangers, but they don't warn you about your own family. And I remember reading this going, they don't talk to us about this. Something needs to change. So I began doing research in Illinois, seeing that every year we, we require the instruction of tornado drills, bus drills, fire drills. We teach DARE. Now we do internet safety, suicide prevention, lockdown drills. But when it comes to sexual abuse, we don't teach kids about personal body safety. And parents are not talking to kids about this. Absolutely. The only parents that are having this conversation are the parents that were abused themselves. And so if kids are not getting this message in the home and they're not getting it at school, the only message they get when they're being abused is to keep it a secret. And so they don't come forward until they're 30, a heroin addict or have an eating disorder. Oh God, and you're finally so right. to a counselor what happened to them. So I decided I want to put a stop to that, stop these predators and introduced in my home state, found a senator to introduce Aaron's law, which requires kindergarten to 12th grade every year, kids being taught personal body safety education. The most, with their voice. the most positive and proactive. I mean, you just said it. You know, we teach the fire drills, the, the you know, mm -hmm. everything that's being taught in this day and age. 
But again, knowledge is power. And giving kids the street smarts before they have to learn it the mm -hmm. hard way is the most valuable yep. thing you can give your child. And so, it, I yep. mean, Aaron, it's, you know, it's so amazing how, and, you know, it, it was meant to be. I mean, with everything you've been through and you always, I'm sure that, you know, me through the stocking thing, it's like, God, at first you're going, why me? Or why is this happening to me? But, you know, the empowerment that comes, right, from doing what you did, from speaking your truth, from realizing that your firsthand knowledge and strength and, you know, gut instinct allowed you to create a program that think about how many children you have saved thus far and mm -hmm. continuing mm -hmm. that have been helped by Aaron's Law and the programs that you've created. Have you heard, yeah. you know, over the years, any stories of, of this? So, yeah, I, after getting it passed in Illinois, have traveled now, it's been 11 years, from one state capital after another, as far away as Alaska and Hawaii, um, testifying to legislators, because I know by testifying to them with my story and the importance of it, that is what will convince them. I just, on Monday, drove seven hours, 500 miles to Nebraska to wake up Tuesday morning and testify for five minutes and, to legislators. And, and pregnant, back. no less. And I have to get that out there. <laughs> so there's that. Nothing but will the, stop me. I've no, taken all three the, of my baby girls to state capitals. The tenacity and the life that you're showing them is incredible. I mean, that's that's what this is all about. It's fantastic. Yeah, so I now show up at this, these capitals, and like I did on Monday, I opened up a binder and started reading one news article after another. Child comes forward after learning Aaron's Law in school. You know, all these stories from as far, you know, South Carolina, Indiana, Alabama, Oregon, they're all over the country of wow. kids being taught this and coming forward and getting these convictions. One story I like to tell people is in Maryland, shortly after getting it passed, a year later, a 12-year-old is learning Aaron's Law in school. She puts her head down while being taught it. Counselor pulls her out and she says, my former teacher's been doing this for two years. And he was the favorite teacher that parents requested that their kid got. Oh, and you hear that a lot. You hear that a lot too. Favorite coach. Oh, yeah. Favorite teacher. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. Wow. That has got to find out. How does, how does that make you feel? I mean. Ugh, it's just, it's sickening. It is sickening. Sickening, but also so, honestly, Aaron, so rewarding that you see your passion and the hard work yeah. and the dedication that you've done starting to pay off, you know? Yeah. And that, that teacher was, um, because this one 12 year old came forward, four more kids said, he's doing this to me too. Wow. He was convicted and sentenced to 48 years in prison. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, as you said, I mean, me just kind of getting caught up as I was researching for, for this show, all you have to do is Google every day coaches. Well, there was just the coach that took his own life that was tied to Larry Nasser. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's yep. constant. It's everywhere. So let me ask you. It is. There, there's, you know, again, so much. And I will have you on again because, again, there's so much to all of this. And there's so much more for, I think, our mm -hmm. listeners and viewers to to break down and hear from you and your experiences. But what is the one thing, because I'm, I'm guessing out there there's a lot of parents 
young parents and, and, you know, high school parents that are going, oh my God, what do I do? How do I, you know, make sure this isn't happening to my child? And I do at the, at the end of the show, I list, um, safety chick rules, you know, the, the vital tips to, to help you keep safe. But for you, and I know you have a lot of, a lot of information, but what would be the one core, um, message that you can send to the, to, to the listeners out there, listeners and viewers out there today, that is kind of the, the core to all of this. It's as I tell parents, talk to your kids, teach them the differences between safe and unsafe touch, safe and unsafe secrets that, you know, someone touching you in your private parts is not a safe secret. If they're telling you not to tell anybody, you tell somebody. And giving other examples like grandma's surprise party is a safe secret to keep. We're not going to tell grandma, you know, and identifying safe adults because some kids are being threatened that their mom will be harmed. Their sister will be harmed. Their brothers. And that's that's the question, Erin. How do you how do you identify safe? You know how we say go to the safe adults. Well, how do you teach Mm -hmm. a child to identify that safe adult? Well, and that's the thing we tell kids. Sometimes there's people you love and trust in your life that might be the ones that hurt you. So you have to identify five safe adults. Who are those five safe adults you can go to? If you can't go to your mom and dad, and we start, you know, asking kids this, a teacher, your school social worker, an aunt, your best friend's mom, and getting these kids to think of these safe people that they can go to, to report and, this. And what this constitutes, what constitutes a safe adult? You know, how do you articulate that to young kids? Right. Because everybody. Yeah. Because everybody you don't know, you know, um, I mean, because for a lot of kids, the home is not a safe environment. And And that's and that's all they know. Right. That's all they know is this weird environment. So they're like, well, this is normal. Right. Yes. So and that's why I get so many kids to disclose once they get to school and hear this, because the abuse is going on in the home by the stepdad, by a family member, you know, by that older brother. So all of a sudden they're hearing it in the school and they have this other safe adult to go to and it gets these kids to come forward. And something I tell a lot of parents, because parents struggle with how to have this conversation. I tell them to go to my website, aaronslaw.org and go to the resource section. And I have a ton of children's books. An excellent one is called The Swimsuit Lesson. Teaching kids the areas covered by your swimsuit. Nobody should touch you there. If they are, you report this, you know, you will be believed. Um, you know, there's, there's these easy books to have this conversation and open up the discussion with your kids. And I will have all of that on my website, your everything, trust me. So when, um, you know, for everyone out there, just know, go to safetychick.com, this podcast, you will get all of Aaron's information and resources, um, because this is vital information to get to your kids. Mm -hmm. Aaron, thank you so much. Yes. For, for everything. You are so amazing. <laughs> and I really, I um, I hope that I'm going to have you back soon. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so as promised, you know, it's, it's, it's never too early to start talking to your kids about safety. I mean, again, it's at the core of everything we do. What is our role as parents? 
to make sure that our children are safe. But it's not helicopter parenting. It's not coddling. You can't be there with them 24-7, right? So it is in your best interest and their best interest at a very young age to start the safety dialogues, however they are. Because it's not about being paranoid. It's not, not about being neurotic. It's about being smart and giving your children street smarts before they have to learn it the hard way. Okay, so let's go over our safety chick rules for this subject today. Um, so start talking to your kids about personal body safety as early as the age two. And as Aaron was saying, you know, there are books like the swimsuit lesson. There are ways, age-appropriate ways to teach a child to understand that nobody, including a parent or caregiver, should see or touch their private parts unless they're keeping them clean, safe, or healthy. And, and that's the key. Explain to them that their private parts, nobody should touch them unless it's mommy or daddy or helping to clean them. The second thing is talk to your child about trusting their intuition. And that is that really is key. The feeling in your tummy that something doesn't seem right or isn't likely. I always, I always say, you know, like butterflies in your stomach or the tightening in your stomach or kind of like a stomach ache. That's your intuitive body signal. That's something telling you that something isn't right. Even if nothing has ever happened, empower your child that they can leave a situation and find another safe adult. That might mean calling someone if they're all alone with only one adult, making them feel uneasy. You know, abusers almost always tell a child to keep a secret. They may tell them that they will be in trouble if they tell anyone. Or So you want to get across to your child you won't be in trouble, and it's not their fault. Abusers can threaten children to stay silent by saying they will hurt them or someone in their family. Let your child know, no matter what they've been told, you don't keep this a secret. You, the child, will be protected once you report it. Teach them the differences between safe and unsafe secrets. Give a few examples, like grandma's surprise birthday party. Keep that a secret. The bike your brother's getting for Christmas. That's a good secret. Then explain unsafe secrets. Someone touching you in your private parts. A friend being bullied at the school bus that tells you not to tell anyone. Your friend who tells you her stepdad takes pictures of her naked. I mean, give them negative examples to let them decipher. And then next, talk to your kids about safe and unsafe touches. Give them examples like giving your parent a hug or giving your teacher a high five. Then give them examples of unsafe touches, someone putting their hands down their pants or up their shirt, classmates kicking them at recess, or a brother you know, pulling their hair. And then never force your children to give people hugs and kisses. Let them make that decision on their own. They, they need to be empowered and know that they are the boss of their bodies. A good book to read on touching is The Right Touch by Sandy Clevin. You know, do not just have this conversation about personal body safety once with your child. You know, I always say common sense is a lost art that bears repeating. This needs to be an ongoing discussion with your kids. I mean, you don't want to ram it down your, their throats. You don't want to make them feel kind of uncomfortable about, God, why are you hammering this at me all the time? But, you know... We recommend discussing this like every every couple of months with your children because it's 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 vital. 
I mean, again, it's never too early to empower your children on how to stay safe from crime. So remember, caring about your personal safety is the greatest gift you can give yourself, and teaching others about personal safety is the greatest gift that you can give them. Till next time.